We're in verses 1 through to 9. So I'd invite you to open your Bibles there now. Or flick out your phone, whatever you are using this morning. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 1 and going through to verse 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. The statement, peace in our time, will no doubt mean different things to different people here this morning. For some, peace in our time reminds you of this bloke. For those of us under 60 years of age, this is former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Neville Chamberlain. Prime Minister Chamberlain was heralded for his success of negotiating a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany back in 1938. For others of us, peace in our time fits with this guy. For those of you in the Chamberlain camp, this is Tony Stark, also known as Iron Man. Back in 2015, Tony Stark attempted to adapt alien intelligence with technology from his Stark Industries. The result was takings of 1.405 billion US dollars at the box office. Both of these men promised peace, but actually failed to deliver. In our message this morning, the Apostle Paul holds out the promise of peace to the believing community in Philippi. Paul, too, will be unable to bring peace to the Philippian believers. However, Paul is not promising to be the bringer of peace. His promise of peace is not based on himself, but on the one he follows, on Jesus Christ. And this promise of peace 
is offered to us afresh today. But not by someone who fails to deliver. It is offered by a saviour, Jesus, who has already come through on his promise. Chapter 4 begins with a reminder that Paul is addressing a community of believers. He's not just addressing an individual. They are a community that Paul considers to be his brothers and sisters and his dear friends. Paul says to his brothers and sisters and dear friends, stand firm. Stand firm because you are at peace with God. You are citizens of heaven. Paul also says, stand firm in this way. That's sort of what the thus, the clunky thus in our reading means. Stand firm in this way, which means Paul is about in the rest of the verses to address how they will stand firm. And today we'll see that they do this, both as a community displaying gospel unity and as individuals practicing godliness. Paul's command to the Philippians to stand firm thus in the Lord mirrors Paul's mention of standing firm in Philippians 1, 27. There he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now in chapter 4, Paul is going to give practical examples of what standing firm in the Lord looks like what it looks like both as individuals and as a community. And he starts with the example of his own affection for the believers in Philippi. Now, it might be easy for us to forget the depth of relationship that Paul shared with the Philippians. If it was not for his affectionate words in verse 1... See, Paul uses at the beginning of this section very affectionate words. Words that we've seen at different times throughout our our series. We've seen him use the word brethren, brothers and sisters. We've also seen him use the word beloved, my dear friends. And now in verse 1, he pairs those together. Now, for a Jew like Paul to do this means that Paul himself has crossed over that cultural Jewish-Gentile divide. In fact, he hasn't just crossed the gap. He hasn't just built a bridge and gotten over it. Paul stands on the solid ground of Jesus' death and resurrection that has filled in the divide between the two. And Paul embraces the Gentiles of the Philippian church as family and as the dearest of friends. 
See, Paul doesn't just tolerate the Philippians as you might a work colleague. He doesn't just tolerate them as you might another student in your class. He doesn't just tolerate them as just another person in his street. No. Paul longs for them as the deepest of friends and the dearest of family. Reflecting on this language of Paul, one commentator says, to put it just like that, rebukes our lukewarm affection for our fellow Christians. We have a long way to go before we are feeling the emotions of Christ toward each other, as Paul was. Now, Paul's affectionate language isn't meant to be a kick in the guts for the believers, and it's not meant to be a kick in the guts for us. Paul uses this language to show us the ideal that should inform the attitudes that we should have for one another. I wonder if you were to write a letter to your church family, what language would you use based of your thoughts of us so far? How would you address that? Paul doesn't waste any time giving them an opportunity to work on their attitudes towards one another. It's like he presses on the bruise that is disunity and division in the church. The division that seems to be between two women. And that division, the words he uses there, seem to be contrary to Paul's expression of affection for the believers in verse 1. The issue between Iodia and Syntyche needs to be sorted out as it is affecting the unity and the effectiveness of the church in Philippi. And whilst the body is made up of different parts, they are all joined together so that the body can operate as a body. If a body is divided, it's nothing more than just a pile of useless parts. Their productivity only comes through their unity. And Paul urges these two ladies to agree in the Lord, to have one mind, to find the common gospel ground. I heard it said this week that if you keep your face to the sun, you won't see the shadows. I mean, take that advice with a grain of salt, because if you look at the sun for too long, you won't really be able to see much at all. But I take the point behind it. What you look at governs your outlook. The other year, Anna and I were looking for one of those storage pods that sits on top of the roof racks. We didn't want to be towing trailers around, so we thought, middle ground, let's get something we can put on top. Now, we hardly ever saw these things around until we started looking for them. And once we started looking for them, they were everywhere. Everywhere. 
It's the same when you're buying a car. You never see a Camry until you're looking for one. And then it totally governs your conversation every time you stopped at a set of lights. Check out that. I wonder what year that is. Oh, they look big enough. We should be able to get a couple of car seats across the back. And don't even get me started on cots and prams and change tables. When you're looking at something, it becomes all that you see. Problems come when you start looking at different things. And this seems to be the sort of issue that Yodia and Syntyche were having. There's a disagreement before them. Paul's solution, he brings them back to a place of common ground that has seen the ladies labour side by side with each other and with Paul in the past. He sets their feet upon the rock that is Jesus. And he says, agree on this. Start here. Allow the purposes of Jesus to govern your outlook, how you see your differences. And our relationship with Jesus Christ is the context of our relationship with each other. We need to have a consistent gospel perspective, friends. Remember to keep the main thing the main thing. In our differences, we should look for the shared common gospel ground. We may, we may not share, well, we will not share common ground when it comes to church design, when it comes to colour schemes or music styles. The problem is if we care too much about these non-essential issues, I fear we will care too little about the essential gospel issues. We must, <clears throat> excuse me, we must allow the purposes of Jesus to govern our outlook as a church, to allow the purposes of Jesus to govern our purposes as a church. Gospel ground is where we stand together. When we consider other issues in the church, we stand there side by side, shoulder to shoulder, facing the same way, looking at the sun. Now, the issue between Yodia and Syntyche was not named. So I think that gives us some space, gives us the opportunity to add there an issue that's relevant for us at North Pine. Is there something you can put in there? The other detail that Paul doesn't give us is the identity of the true companion. I think there we can feel free to put our name in. How can you help the issue that you are aware of in this church? Could you be a mediator or an encourager? Maybe you could refuse to talk about the shadows of division and instead fix your eyes on the purposes of Jesus and how they might be worked 
through our church? How can you be used to bring unity to the church? The results of this sort of unity in this church will be rejoicing. And I think there are four characteristics of a unified Christian community that Paul brings out for us. They are joy, godly character, prayer, and peace. The first characteristic is joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. In this statement, Paul gives the where and the when of rejoicing, but not the how. The where of rejoicing is in the Lord. As well as being the common ground of our unity as a church, the Lord is also the common ground of our rejoicing. It's the rock we stand firm on when our circumstances are raging like a river around us. The when of our rejoicing is always when Jesus is the foundation of our joy. We don't have joy prescribed to us by our circumstances. We are able to have joy despite our circumstances. But not the how to rejoice. And that gives us some freedom, doesn't it? So rejoicing can be done through praise songs and expressions of great elation. Rejoicing can be done in silence also, through prayer, through sorrow, through tears. We should allow each other the freedom to rejoice as our circumstances require it. The second characteristic of a united Christian community is godly character. Verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul is saying, Be known for your patience, self-control, gentleness, kindness, humility. The idea behind these words is not of being self-seeking or trying to serve your own interests. Paul says, don't be seen as selfish, be seen as selfless. What was Jesus known for? We don't have to go far to be reminded. Philippians 2 verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
a united Christian community, should be known for having the same character as their Lord Jesus. And we will be known for having the character of Jesus through the work of God's Spirit in our lives. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a follower of Jesus is probably what Paul meant by his statement, the Lord is at hand. The Lord Jesus is present with us, or he is near to us through his Spirit. The third characteristic of a unified Christian community is prayer. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is the great antidote for anxiety. We live in a broken world. And I'm yet to meet a person who wants to be anxious, who desires anxiety. To tell an anxious person not to be anxious is about as effective as telling a starving person not to be hungry. So why does, that, does Paul do it? Well, I think he's, he believes he's got something that is food for the starving. Something that is the antidote for anxiety. I mean, first century Paul is probably dealing with two ways that we experience anxiety. And often I think these come within two questions. First one might be, how will I cope? And the second one, why is this happening to me? Have you ever asked a question similar to that? How will I cope? Why is this happening to me? The question, how will I cope, seems to cover anxiety that arises from our physical needs. And to that, Paul says, prayers of supplication to the Lord. God supplies all our needs. Make your needs known to God. So the question of why is this happening to me it seems to cover anxiety that comes out of our emotional needs. Why are they picking on me? Why have I not been able to find a job? Paul says, thanksgiving. We can be thankful that God works with a purpose. So whilst we might not know why something is happening, we can trust God that he will work it out for our good and for his glory. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose.
whether we suffer from anxiety or just get anxious from time to time, Paul points us in the same direction. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The fourth characteristic is peace. Verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace that surpasses all understanding is something that goes beyond our ability to fully comprehend and beyond our ability to fully communicate. It is something that is experienced. It can't really be explained. Nor can it really be explained away. In the mind of Paul, the surpassing peace of God is the great guardian of the hearts and minds of those who trust in Jesus. In the presence of joy, godly character, prayer and peace are all the work of the Holy Spirit in the believing congregation. It is also the, whole, the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the life of the individual believer. And this brings us to the second reason why Paul says to stand firm. They had to stand firm as individuals practising godliness. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practise these things. And the God of peace will be with you. These two verses point us to how the Christian individual is to think and behave. They are thought patterns which require us to be proactive, not reactive. Be careful about what goes into your minds. Watch what you read what you look at, what you listen to. We are to fertilise and nourish our minds with that which is true. We're not to poison our minds with that which is deceiving, with lies. Think about and practise that which brings honour, not the stuff that leads to shame. What someone spends their time thinking about usually shows itself through what they say. Usually shows itself through what they teach and how they act. That was true for Paul. Paul wants the believers in Philippi to think how he thinks. To watch and follow him. If you do this, says Paul, the God of peace will be with you. 
The Christian who dabbles in deviancy will struggle to experience the joy of peace. I wonder, what does your internet search history say about you? Would it describe you as true, honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise? What about what you say? Would, it des- would you describe it as true, honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise? What about how you act? If you are allowing your mind to dwell on things that are contrary to this list of Paul, if you are deviating from the trajectory of what the gospel is and what is true, I expect you experience some level of anxiety about that. that is you, even if that is not you, be encouraged by these words of Paul. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. If you are deviating, make it known to God. I suggest it could help to, be make it, to make it known to a true companion also. Someone whom you would consider a brother or sister in Christ. A partner in the gospel who would be willing to stand side by side and labour with you. If we are to be known as selfless, if we are to stand firm as a community in the Lord, we need to be active as individuals in how we think and what we practice. We need to allow the purposes of Jesus to govern our purposes as a church and as individuals. Let us stand firm, brothers and sisters. As a community, Let us display gospel unity and as individuals, let us be people who practice godliness. Amen. We're going to have a time of communion now. So if those who are helping with that could come forward, that would be appreciated. We've talked this morning about peace. And the Lord's Supper is a meal of peace. It is a meal that reminds us that peace with God comes at a cost. A cost that was taken care of by Jesus. It's a meal that reminds us that peace with God is something to be celebrated and remembered as a united community of followers of Jesus. It is a meal that reminds us that peace with God 
comes through the good work of Jesus, not our own. This is the Lord's table. If you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and follow him as your Saviour, please join with us. If you have not put your trust in Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, then instead of partaking in this meal, I would encourage you to take this time to consider what we have spoken about today. You'll be served the bread and some juice. I encourage you to eat the bread. Commit yourself to the Lord. Give thanks to him. And if there is anything within you that you need to deal with, deal with it. You'll also be served a cup of juice. Just hold on to that. We will drink that together as a sign of our unity in the Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.